If you haven't heard of Dr. Carrie Magro, you are in for a treat. Dr. Carrie Magro is an autistic adult who was non-speaking until the age of about four and a half, and now he is a PhD and he is a professional speaker. And today we talk all about his journey to communication. It's absolutely inspiring. And he really gives us a sneak peek into things that helped him and things we can do as professionals that are amazing for our clients. And then some things that we need to be careful about as well. Dr. Magro is an award-winning autistic professional speaker, best-selling author, and autism consultant. He has done two TEDx talks and talks at Google Presentation. He's been on the Today Show. He has written books. He is a wealth of information. He is absolutely immersed in the autistic society and helping all autistic individuals find their voice. And this is such an amazing episode. I'm so excited for it. Let's get right on into it. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode 43 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. And we have a great episode today. We have with us Dr. Carrie Magro. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to have you on and you have just so many wonderful things that you're doing in the autism community. You have been an award-winning autistic professional speaker. I listened to some of your TEDx talks. They were very touching. I'm excited to talk with you about that today. And I know you were on the Today Show and you have wrote books and, and just so many amazing things that you're doing. I'm excited to share that. And I think I found out about you on TikTok. I talk about social media here a lot because I do love to disseminate information on being a speech therapist and a BCBA. I've really dedicated my entire career to helping autistic individuals start communicating to strengthen their communication skills. And so when I saw you on TikTok, I was like, wow, this is so cool and did a deep dive on your work. So it is, uh, it's nice to meet you virtually in person. (laughs) So for people who don't know you, can you tell us um, your your story and your journey is really amazing. And I know we're going to share that today, but can you tell us just a little bit about you and your journey? Yeah. So, I mean, I have a personal passion behind this community. Uh, I was not speaking until I was two and a half and then uh, officially diagnosed with autism at four. And speech was really tough growing up. I didn't speak in complete sentences until I was seven and had a wide range of sensory challenges. But based on the support of a loving family, over 15 years of occupational physical speech therapy, and then integrating music and theater therapy into it, I was able to overcome many of my obstacles to go to Seen Hall University, get a sport management degree before I realized my true calling, which was in disability advocacy, changing career paths, receiving a master's in strategic communications to become one of the first professionally certified public speakers in the world who's also autistic. So uh, I've had the opportunity to speak at so many amazing events about normalizing disability uh, for over the past 10 years now, while also writing books based on my journey, getting the opportunity to be an entertainment consultant, to bring realistic portrayal of autism and disabilities to our entertainment industry, and then uh, my, my labor of love, my nonprofit which I do on the side where I provide peer mentoring and coaching for those 
with disabilities, mainly who are transitioning to adulthood. Oh, that's amazing. You know, because I I work, I specialize. So I work in a school three days a week as a speech therapist. And then two days I have my own businesses. But um, the three days a week, I work in a middle school and high school. And I really love that age group just because it's so functional. And the things that we're working on with the students are just lifelong skills. You know, like I try to help them expand their leisure skills, thinking about what are they going to be doing as adults. And I think anything that we work on at that age group just, and always just needs to be so functional and think about how to does it serve them as adults? Because working at the high school and working with students who are post-18, I'm just always thinking like, okay, this person is becoming an adult. Like today, I just did a, a group and it was all about vocational and of what we do to get ready for work and all those different types of things. So I love that you have that focus because I think that adults with autism and, and older learners really need that support. I feel like that's lacking, you know? Yeah. I mean, overall, publicly funded services end completely when yeah. these kids turn 18 and it's... It, it's really a lot of the time out of pocket on the parents, the guardians to do what they can to help our community. And the popular image of autism is still focused on children, but these kids are growing up. I'm a perfect example of that. Yes. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we need to be ready for them for sure. Well, that's amazing. And you talked all about, you know, the, the fact that you did receive speech therapy. And I do think it's very inspiring to know that you essentially were not yet verbal spontaneously until you were four and a half. I think that's something really important to share and how impactful that therapy was. I mean, I guess as a speech therapist, I'm wondering, you know, what 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 do you remember about speech therapy when you were younger? Do you remember any highlights? Because I know that I work with a lot of students who are not yet spontaneously communicating. And that's always my focus to help them become independent communicators. And I think sometimes as a provider, you know, we get overly overwhelmed and we want to make sure that we're doing our best. And, you know, I'm just curious, kind of what you remember about speech therapy or what were some moments that were highlights for you? My earliest memories were, and and I've kind of changed my narrative of calling myself nonverbal to yeah. not speaking because okay. I, I, I always had different uh, sounds. Right. And growing up as a kid, some of my earliest speech therapy memories were really just a lot of pronunciation because uh-huh. I had the sounds and they really wanted to try to encourage communication in any way, shape or form. So I remember just starting off when I was just honestly, some of my earliest memories were when I was in first grade, when I was six years old and just practicing things like not only pronunciation, but things like eye contact and understanding idioms and and sarcasm. And I found it so fascinating because honestly, even today, I still have troubles with sarcasm. But uh, I honestly today say the two biggest things that helped me get from non-speaking to professional speaker were speech therapy and music therapy. And just making sure that all of the therapists I was with really met me where I was in my own development. That was really, really key. Make it person-centered. Yeah, I love that so much. I love that the music therapy was helpful too. I actually, I used to be, if you're watching this on YouTube, I was filming the podcast in my home office where I have um, a nicer background, but it sounds better here in my, um, sounds better here where I'm filming it now, but I actually grew up playing the harp. So I used to at one time think before I even knew what a speech therapist was that I wanted to go into music therapy and things like that, because I do love 
incorporating music into into my lessons. Like actually before we got out for school in the summer, I did a whole like month's lesson with my older students. We had the smart board and we talked about different genres of music and if we liked that music and I would play some songs that were popular probably back in my day and then some that were popular now that were appropriate, you know. But it's really cool because I think music is just gets kids so excited and it's something that we can all kind of bond over and might, um, you know, spark a student to be motivated to communicate with peers. But so when did you start music therapy? What age did you do that? I started off at a special needs summer camp when I was about seven. It was a uh, Jewish community uh, center in Tenafly, New Jersey. And I'm based in Hoboken, New Jersey today. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just found it so therapeutic. Again, I was seven. So I was starting to speak in complete sentences for the first time. So there wasn't only music therapy, but there was also theater therapy, which helped me dramatically understanding other people's perspectives when Mm -hmm. being an only child, sometimes it was challenging for me to understand my peers. So uh, that started and I fell in love with it and I kept it going until I uh, graduated high school at 19. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so neat that that was a part of your, of your journey. And I, I, you know, I always tell my kids if they have a, a social skills goal that I, I try to just tell them that I'm kind of their coach, you know, because I feel like social skills for, for a lot of people are just very nuanced as you get into middle school and high school. And, and honestly, it doesn't even stop as being an adult, depending if you live in the suburbs and the culture of your neighborhood, you know, there's a lot of different social nuances that are just kind of difficult and you kind of just learn as you go. So I, I think that's really cool to share. Can you tell us, I'm curious about this because I heard you do a video about when your parents told you that you were autistic. So can you tell us a little bit, I was like really moved by that, your parents, how your parents told you, your mom in particular, I think you were sharing, but can you tell us a little bit about how that all came to be? Sure. So I was in a social skills class. I was 11 and a half years old and we were playing disability celebrity bingo, where we were learning that individuals, some of the most successful individuals in the world, Michael Jordan had ADD, Magic Johnson had ADHD. And this was the first time I was ever really introduced to any of these labels. And at the end of the class, I remember the teacher saying, all these individuals are special, just like you. So I was curious. I raised my hand and I asked the teacher, why am I special? And she really didn't know what to say. She said I should talk to my parents. And I sent my parents down right after school that day and and told them that my teacher said I'm special. So why am I special? And my mom and dad were just like, Carrie, you have something called autism. It means that you learn a little bit differently than others, but it doesn't make you any less of a person. And they really left it off at that. And uh, it it was so life-changing though, years later to just do research and learn more about my strengths and challenges associated with my autism, sitting on my IEP meetings, Mm -hmm. getting a report with my child study team, and then also just self-advocating for myself based on knowing for the first time about my diagnosis. Yeah, I I love how you share that because, you know, I I work in a high school and I had a situation once where I had a student who was newer to my, very new to my caseload and I, you know, his IEP was up. And so I wanted to talk with him just like I do with my older students about his IEP goals. And, you know, I have definitely been in a lot of, you know, student-led IEP meetings where the students are there. And, you know, I, I try to be really open about, you know, this is how I can support you and your communication. And before I pulled the student to discuss that, the teacher said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't say anything. He hasn't been told that he has the diagnosis of autism, at least an educational diagnosis, which, you know, that's 
different than medical, but I was really taken aback by that. So, you know, I think everybody has their own viewpoint on that, but I love how your parents shared that with you. Like, yeah, this is a part of who you are. And I love that your class is playing disability bingo. I've done that sometimes with my students who are stutterers that you're, you don't realize, and it just makes you feel, I would imagine, you know, less alone, or you're like, oh, okay, this person is also dealing with this, right? Because we're all dealing with something. So. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, I, I didn't really have any peer role models who were on the spectrum. It, right. it, it was at a time where like Temple was still really not well-known, Temple Grandin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and a wide range of other individuals who were on the autism spectrum, like Daryl Hanna from the Kill Bill series and mm-hmm. Blade Runner. And uh, Dan Aykroyd wouldn't come out about being autistic until years later. So um, right. there, there was really no one that I was thinking to myself and being like, it would have just been so beneficial to know that there was somebody out there to, again, like you were saying, make me feel less alone for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Can you tell us a little bit about your educational journey? I know that you had some supports that were helpful. Even I remember you talking about like maybe when you went away to college or some of the different supports that really kind of helped you. Because I just know my nieces and nephew are like away to college. They are typical, you know, learners. But I feel like that's such a transition time. I actually, I'm from Northeast Ohio. So despite my wishes, I really did want to go away to college, but like I, I was a commuter, like I went to Akron U and then I went to Kent State for my master's. I have another degree from Cleveland State. So I just, I know that transition time and we're filming this in back to school time. So I'm thinking about all my loved ones that are transitioning to college. And then actually watching some of these TikToks with kids who don't have autism, but are just right, away right. at school and feel very lonely. And I can imagine it's just got to be compounded if you, you know, also have you know, a disability and, and things like that. So could you just talk to us a little bit about some of those things that were helpful for you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, understanding my IEP and the accommodations I was receiving in school was really, really beneficial because once I started sitting in and my child study team kind of focused on the ownership principle of having me associated with my accommodations and asking what I wanted, it, it made me feel proud in a sense to really be able to take control of my learning and kind of how I saw my weaknesses and how I wanted to share them with others. And that kind of just trickled into high school and the transition to adulthood with transitional planning, even though it kind of fell off completely. I I tell in uh, talks I give at the university level that I didn't expect that I assumed that I would get an IEP in college. And I was, it, it was just kind of deer in headlights when I went up to my disability support specialist and they said that I would be receiving 504 reasonable accommodations. I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think a lot of it was some of the best supports I received were understanding my accommodations, understanding needed extra time for tests, Mm-hmm. Uh, needing a private room due to my sensory challenges, having a note taker because I also have dyscraphia, which is a hammering disorder. So having all those in, in place were definitely the key elements to um, me succeeding uh, academically. Yeah, that's amazing. I actually, so when you transitioned from high school to college, was there, because I remember when I was in college, I actually, I was like a scribe for somebody. Like I would take their notes. I worked for, I mean, I think we called it like the office of disabilities or, you know, had some kind of general term. So I'm curious when you went from your high school to your college, was there a dialogue from 
the professionals at your high school, like your transition team or anything like that with your college? Was there any kind of ongoing communication? Because you said you just kind of assumed that this would be the plan. And I'm just curious because we have different supports. Everybody in each state has their own, you know, transition plan. And, you know, I just wonder how much communication was there between those two different entities. I mean, there really wasn't that much. I was going to a university where I was one of the only students from my high school and my high school was only 160 kids. So very small. So in terms of accommodations, there, there wasn't really a good transition plan in place. Many of my classmates ended up going to colleges that had more of an a disability support center, the Fairleigh Dickinson's of the world, the University of Alabama's who have great autism related programs. I kind of just went in with the mindset that, you know what, I I wanted to be a sport management major. And I knew that Seen Hall was one of the best universities in the country to do it. So I really, at the time, did not think about accommodations and, and what I would need to really help me with that transition. So I kind of went cold turkey. And now, hopefully this uh, April in 2022, I'll be releasing a uh, college book talking about those transitions in a little bit more detail from the voices of countless young adults who are on the autism spectrum and what is currently helping them with their transition. Oh, that's amazing. I'm excited for that. That sounds really great. Yeah, because I think, I mean, I think what's so amazing about you disseminating on these ways like TikTok and Instagram, and I know you have a Facebook group as well or page, is that, you know, that's kind of where people are at. So, I mean, I remember I was listening to uh, Gary Vanderchuk, and I don't know if you know who that is, but he is in the online space. He's like a, a business owner. And he said, you know, you need to be on TikTok. And this was like when the pandemic started. And I thought to myself, I don't know. So we started a family account. We did some of the trending dances. And then I thought, well, I really want to tie this to my business, you know, ABA speech, as far as disseminating information about autism and how that can be helpful. And so I really enjoy, you know, trying to make TikToks that are helpful and things like that. But I think that's a great idea that you're on TikTok and all these different places, because that's where young people are at and they can find you. And I think that can be very inspiring. So yeah, that's great that you're doing that. I, I kind of had the same path. I was <laughs> legitimately like, none of my friends were going on TikTok. I, yes. I, was, I looked at TikTok one day and I was seeing Addison Ray. Yes, yes. 19-year-old uh-huh. doing all these dances. And yes. I'm uncoordinated. <laughs> I would never be able to get this done. And then I posted like maybe three videos within two weeks. And one yeah. of them reached 1.4 million people. And I went from like a few followers to 25,000. And then I was like, okay, I, I have to. <laughs> well, now that I have 25,000 people in the autism community following me, but it's yeah. also opened a lot of doors to meeting great people like yourself. Oh, thank you. Yes, it is good. And I'm like, you know, I just do it to try to disseminate. Every once in a while, I do hop on a dance trend, but some, some of them are talking. But I think that's the neat thing about disseminating is that there are a lot of young people on that app and older people are creeping over too. So it's, it's very cool to see that yeah over there. Okay. Are there things that we can do as professionals to help support autistic clients or things that we should not do? You know, I, I tried to on the autism outreach podcast, we have autistic individuals on, we have moms who are usually in the field in some way and also have autistic children. Um, but I'm always wondering, you know, are there things that we should not do? We scratched the surface a little bit. I think it was on episode 16. I had Nathan Morgan on, he's an autistic adult from the milestones organization. 
And we just scratched the surface with talking about, this is, a, this is almost last year, a talking about person with autism versus saying autistic, um, which is a very, you know, things that I'm just trying to pick up on. And I think some providers just don't understand that some of the things that we could do and we could say, like I actually just made a TikTok last night about how we shouldn't say red flags for autism because that has such a negative connotation. It makes it seem like autism is something negative. Every brain is beautiful. So are there things that you just see across the board kind of in general that you would recommend that, you know, don't say this or this might be helpful to focus on? Because I know people don't want to hurt anybody's feelings intentionally, but sometimes, you know, like I work in a school and so there's just barriers. I can't just ask people these questions. So that's why I have a podcast, you know? I know, absolutely. Uh, So you actually hit the nail on the head. One of the first things I was going to mention is the whole person first, uh, which is person with autism versus identity first, autistic individual. I feel like many of us in school were taught person with autism first. And now we have this whole neurodiversity movement where we're realizing that we should let self-advocates self-identify for how they want to be uh, seen, if they want to be seen as a person with autism or somebody who's autistic. So we should really, as professionals, make sure that they're leading the narrative when it comes to that. Also, in addition to that, any jargon about the cure, I would definitely stay away from 100% because uh, that can get in a very negative connotation. And in addition to that, functioning labels. We, as a society, I think, need to steer away from the typical high-functioning, low-functioning because mm-hmm. I'm... People say I'm high functioning. They say, Carrie, you have autism, but you seem so high functioning. And I have to remind them that while my speech is high functioning, my sensory is still very middle to low functioning. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to avoid functioning labels and professionals just need to, and, and also families need to just say, this is my child. And these are his strengths, these are their challenges, and go from there. I think that's really, really key. And then, I mean, we we, we stress this enough, but person-centered approaches to our community are truly essential because it is a very wide spectrum. And I still go into big businesses and talk about the ROI benefits of hiring autistic and talented autistic people in the workplace. And every single, well, some of the times I go there, they think that every single person who is autistic is just a bond mm-hmm. and is like the good doctor. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case. Autism is a spectrum. We, and Stephen Shore, my dear friend, says, if you met one, you right. met one. Yes. Right. Yeah. I love that. That's a nice saying. Very much so. Yeah. I know the functioning labels. I was just talking about that too. I, I, I don't think people understand how impactful, you know, that can be. And I was just sharing that maybe we should talk about, you know, what types of supports that a student would need instead and describing it that way. So I think sometimes if people are not in the loop or on social media, they may not really you know, they may not be hearing this running dialogue that I know that you obviously are immersed in this, you know, online space and I am too. So I think it's good to talk about those things because I think sometimes people unknowingly say these things and then it just comes off, you know, very crass and, and kind of unprofessional. So, okay. Those are good points, everybody. Make sure you wrote those down. Check them out in the show notes. Those will be in there. But, you know, it's amazing the work that you're doing. You're doing such important work and you've just done so many amazing things that can you tell us about, you mentioned the book, which is really, really cool. I I hadn't known about that, but can you tell us about some of your projects that you kind of have coming up or anything that you want to highlight? 
Yeah, sure. So I actually have a book I contributed to with 40 other incredible authors named Life After Lockdown, Resetting Perceptions on Autism. And it's basically a book on how we're going to go after the COVID-19 pandemic and really just help our community thrive, talking about anxiety, talking about back to school, a wide range of topics. So I'm really excited. AAPC Publishing are doing that. It should be out the third week of September. It's currently available for pre-order. That's It's just an amazing, amazing book. And uh, I'm a dear just friend, but also Temple Grandin is one of my mentors in life. This is the second book that we've been able to work on together. So I, I just I just love getting to learn from her. Other than that, uh, I am continuing public speaking. Uh, that's my full-time job. I, I am getting gearing up for October, National Bullying Prevention Month, and then also National Disability Employment Awareness Month. So talking to a lot of businesses, spe- speaking virtually at a lot of schools on the topic of bullying. And then in April, the book currently right now is going to just be called Autistics on Autism. Hmm. And we're going to try to release it the first week of April for World <laughs> Autism Month. And uh, I give a scholarship out every spring to autistic students who want to go to college. So the really fun thing about the book is that each one of the students as part of their scholarship essay just writes 500 to 1,000 words on what helped them growing up and what they see for themselves in the future to not only give hope, but also give resources for our community. So I have about over 225 incredible, incredible essays from brilliant, smart, autistic young adults who will be featured in this book where 100% of the proceeds from this book will actually go directly back to our scholarship fund so we can uh, continue to hopefully do that for years to come. Now that we've given out over 100 scholarships now, we've also had over 500 applicants. So we're really excited about that. Wow, that's a lot. Do you have a scholarship? Do you have like a review committee? I'm just curious how you're not reading those all yourself, are you? That's a lot of work. I I have a board. Uh, Okay. Even though uh, my my nonprofit is my part-time job and I'm the only full-time employee, I, I have a wonderful board who uh, helped me decide. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's been a labor of love. We've been doing it for nine years. So. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yes. I've helped out on different committees and had have been given different scholarships for different things, you know, so I know that it's like definitely a process to get that all started. So very cool. Oh my gosh. Such amazing work. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was so nice having you on. If you're listening, make sure that you check out abaspeech.org. We have some new free live webinars all about helping toddlers and preschool age students, and then also helping school age students who are autistic start communicating and increase their communication skills. Make sure that you subscribe and write a review for the podcast. I always love hearing from you. And thank you so much, Dr. Magro, for coming on. It was really nice to meet you. Uh, Nice meeting you as well. Bye. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.